0: First of all, a home is not an investment. It's an asset. There's a difference. An asset has value, but investment is where I put money to expect a return. I don't put money in my home to expect a return. I put money in my home so that I can have a lifestyle that I want. But it's still an asset, which means that I still have to understand its value in the marketplace and make decisions based on that value. And part of that is how do I make smart home renovations, renovations that are going to add value, not detract from value, but renovations that also appeal to my lifestyle. So there's a whole balance, you know, a horse and trade, you know, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. So I talk a lot about that. And I talk a lot about the importance of you do those renos for your lifestyle, but make sure that it makes financial sense.
1: Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. What's the real power of leverage? People think real estate is all about leveraging capital. Money is important, but what about the decisions we make? The things we do and don't do determine our success as investors. Choices and actions create success. Before we get to the bank, we make choices guided by mindset and by the things we do and don't know. If we want to succeed as investors, we need to leverage knowledge. We need to increase what we know so our actions pay bigger dividends. Join hosts Terry Schauer and Jean-Philippe Claude for conversations with leading experts in the real estate field. From mortgages to mindset, and from macroeconomics to local market trends. Grow your knowledge capital with us. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast, where we seek advice to help us make better investing decisions.
2: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We have with us today Romana King, who is Director of Content at Zolo and bestselling author of House Poor No More. So Romana, we want to talk about a subject that we don't talk about too much on the show, which is home ownership and some of the challenges that people are facing today. So maybe you can just give us a little background on you about uh, what is your expertise in this area? How do you come to be the person we have on the show to enlighten us on this subject?
0: I came to be this person because I lived it. I was the daughter of immigrants who came and, of course, home ownership coming from Europe was important and seemed attainable in North America at the time. But it cost a lot of money even then. And I remember my father putting a deposit down on a house and lost that, then bought a house and then lost that wow. because he didn't have the right information from... You know the experts, which is that the tenant income that we would have relied upon in order to keep the house, the apartments were not legal. And so suddenly he was hit with this huge, you need to upgrade in order to make it legal. We of course didn't have the tens of thousands of dollars that would require. In real estate, you transact quickly and you don't account for it. You're going to lose money. So my dad is one of those guys you learn, he's got some of that growth mindset mentality built in. He's like, oh yeah? made a mistake, going to learn from this. Oh. I was young enough and old enough, I guess, at the time to catch on to his to- tales and say, okay, what are you learning? And this is back, it is dating me. This is back in the day where we didn't have mortgage calculators online. We had mortgage tables in a printed magazine wow. and was- <laughs> for hours going through the calculations on those mortgage tables. So I remember very early on, cross the T's, dot the I's, really understand the math Even when you're a homeowner, he wasn't investing. He was not a real estate investor. He was a homeowner that understood that the asset that he was buying had value and he had to understand that value and how to keep that value strong.
3: So you saw that when you were young and that must have been quite the experience in giving you a piece of education and also like warning signs and getting you excited. What did that mean for you? And how quickly did you jump into it afterwards?
0: Straight from the get-go, I understood the importance of having a home as a place of security and stability. We buy homes as homes, not as investments. We buy a home for an emotional and the physical security and stability. And so I buy it because I have a family, because I want to set down roots. I've got my first job. I want to be a part of a community. None of those are financial reasons. And so I start my book with hey, it's okay to buy a home for these emotional security reasons. Once you've done that, once you've sort of checked that, okay, now if I'm going to do that. I'm going to invest in that security and that emotional stability. Then we need to start thinking about, well, how do I make better or wiser financial decisions as a homeowner? And that's kind of where I lead off on my book is, okay, now that we're doing this, how do I make those better decisions? I mean, I was looking at property, I think my first age was when I was 21. And I was so close to signing on the dotted line of a con You know, with my dad's help, we went through the whole and, you know, I gave him the business plan. I gave him the whole idea because I would have had to get mom and dad bank loan. And he was willing because I put together the whole plan. And at the last minute, I changed my mind. I said, you know what, dad, I don't think I'm stable in my career. And I wasn't. I actually ended up leaving that career about a year later, going back to university and, and becoming a journalist and eventually fell into financial journalism. And all of that sort of now connects where I was like, oh, I'm a financial journalist, I have a passion in real estate, finance, real estate. Well, they go hand in hand and now we have a book. Yeah, so I guess I'm curious to hear a little bit about
2: the advice that you give in the book. So our audience is like really people who are using real estate as investment. And it's actually interesting that you mentioned this whole emotional component because Axel, I don't actually know whether or not you own your home. I own my home. I do. It's fully paid off. Like there's a too much capital sitting in there. But so, like, even though knowing that it's not a good use of capital, I still own a home. And like I think most of the investors we talk to make that decision. So we have these like two silos in which on the one hand we think in an investment terms. And on the other hand, we do buy for stability and you know security and for the joy of being a homeowner. So what advice should we follow in that aspect of our lives to make sure that we're not getting in over our heads or making
0: mistakes? One of the big ones I actually try and tackle is the silos. First of all, a home is not an investment. It's an asset. There's a difference. An asset has value, but investment is where I put money to expect a return. I don't put money in my home to expect a return. I put money in my home so that I can have a lifestyle that I want, but it's still an asset, which means that I still have to understand its value in the marketplace and make decisions based on that value. And part of that is how do I make smart home renovations, renovations that are going to add value, not detract from value, but renovations that also appeal to my lifestyle. So there's a whole You know, a horse and trade, you know, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. So I talk a lot about that. And I talk a lot about the importance of you do those renos for your lifestyle, but make sure that it makes financial sense. So there's two checklists you have to look at. The renos are for you, but do they make sense for the market? And that's your home. But I also want to ask people to try and consider, I know that we sort of have these two silos, home over here, investments over here. Some of those investments, myself included, I'm a real estate investor. I get that. But I need to stop thinking about my home as being separate. It's not. I spent a lot of time and a lot of money building up the equity in my home how do I use that as a tool? And so, yes, I need to understand leverage. I need to understand risk. I need to understand the market. I need to understand tax deductions. But once I have a basis or a premise of how those all work, I can start making more strategic decisions based on all the tools in my toolbox. If I'm a younger person, let's say I'm in my early thirties, I've bought my first home. I want to invest. Well, I can use the tool of leverage and I can use the tool of risk. So yes, I'm going to take more risk using leverage, but I have more time in the marketplace, and we all know from investing that time is a really good asset to have. It's a really good tool to have. So I have more time in the market to use leverage, use risk use the equity in my home to take that equity out and diversify my investments. My idea is maybe you don't invest straight and this goes against all real estate principles. And I'm a big believer in real estate. Maybe you don't invest in a real estate investment property first. Maybe you go and you put that money in stocks and assets and safe. Not I'm not talking risky. I'm talking blue chip, balanced funds, but then you earn those returns and you get that, that money back and you start paying down more of the mortgage in your home, getting more equity, trying to understand how to free more of that capital to go and make more of those investments. So that's probably the biggest takeaway I have is we need to stop having these silos where we think that home is over here, investments over here, the two can never meet because it's not true. I don't live that way. So the two should meet. How do I meet them? How do I do it responsibly so that I'm taking on only the risk that makes sense to me?
3: You bring up a really good point is that sometimes people do see it sadly as silos, but it's all interconnected. And I'm thinking actually of a particular example, some really good friends of mine, two working professionals, making good income, living in Vancouver and telling me like, Excel, we can't buy here, it's impossible because property prices are so high. So for these 35 year olds, who are actually making a good income, but are trying to live in a city that's really expensive, What kind of advice would you give them? Because they're looking to do a 20% down payment. Like it will take them five or seven years to accumulate that capital. How would you structure it and help them find a way to do this?
0: So the first thing I'd say is do your math. A lot of people don't realize that if you put less than 20% down and everyone talks about this, oh, CMHC fees, mortgage default fees, you don't want to pay those. Yeah. Do you know that you also get preferential rates from mortgage lenders all the time? So I've got lots of equity in my home. I go to renew my mortgage. I don't get the best rates. I could be a class borrower and the lender's still not going to give. They're going to go over to the first time buyer and say, oh, your first time buyer with 15% down. I've got even better rates for you because that's the largest chunk of the market. So all of the lenders compete for it. They want your business because they know that a certain percentage is just going to roll over and renew the next time. Got that guaranteed income. And so they will compete hard. And so what a lot of people don't realize is if you do the math, even adding in the mortgage default fees, you're still ahead if you don't put 20% down. So the first thing I say to those people is you need to challenge. The math, you need to do the math and challenge the old, you know, rules of thumb and concepts about you have to put 20% down. I'm not saying 20% down isn't good. I'm just saying challenge it and find out whether or not it's the right play for you, particularly in expensive markets like Vancouver. I live in Vancouver. It's expensive to live here. And the next thing I'd say is home ownership is a cost and benefit. I would love to live right downtown and have a nice big backyard and close access to transit, not own a car, but have a car. I don't get that. I need to make a trade off. I don't live there. So I need to make a trade-off and understand, you know, if my trade-off is I have tenants because I need to help pay for my mortgage, that's my trade-off. My husband doesn't like living with tenants. So our trade-off is we need to adjust our purchase price so we don't have that additional income coming in. These are the trade-offs we have. You know, when my brother bought his first home, it's a step up when you buy a home, you've got the lawnmower, you've got the snow shovel, you've got all the extra stuff, right? And so he's phoning me going, I got that, I got that, I got that. I said, I guess you're not eating out anymore. He goes, yeah. And he was telling me my (laughs) life's not going to change. Yes, it is. It is going to change. So young professionals can buy into the market. Yes, it's expensive. Yes, I understand. But there are trade-offs. There's possibilities. It's just a matter of understanding what's important to you and understanding where you're going to Put the money now because you're going to feel pain somewhere. So let me ask you one of the questions that
2: maybe some of our listeners and some of our clients come with. So they live in very expensive markets like Toronto or Vancouver, and like increasingly Montreal is becoming just too expensive. And so the question that they end up having is, do I rent my home and buy some kind of an investment property or something in a secondary market? Because that's more accessible to me or else I can like really stretch. And like, as you say, end up in the situation of being house poor. I mean, I don't know if you, would you have any
0: advice for people who are in that kind of situation? I actually think those are great strategies. And I think that's what I mean by compromise. I think when you look at your lifestyle and if your lifestyle is, I want to be urban, I want to be central, I want to be, and that is way, way, way above your price range, then yeah, it actually makes more sense to rent. And you know, I've done the math, other experts have done the math. By and large, if you rent, save what you have, by paying rent rather than mortgage and all the housing costs and then invest that you are actually going to be financially ahead. You know, I'm very clear in my book, you do not need to be a homeowner to achieve financial independence. Renters can do that easily. But it takes the same practice, the same principles, the same skills. You need to pay yourself first. You need to invest your earnings. You need to keep your housing costs slow. The premium you pay for home ownership means that you are forced to save. So as a renter, you need to do the same principle, but you have to force yourself rather than having the bank force you by making that mortgage payment. You can do it. I think it's a great strategy. I talked to people five, 10 years ago that were doing this in Toronto when people thought it was unaffordable then. Now it's astronomically unaffordable, right? They had kids, they wanted to be right downtown, but they also wanted to get into the market. At the time, those buyers were actually buying in the Muskoka, you know, before vacation properties took off. And so now they've actually earned quite a lot on that investment slash rental property slash vacation property. It does require a bit more work because you need to understand, okay, I'm buying a real estate investment property, not a home. And I'm looking for a home that's a rental. But if you're willing to put in the work, the math work with the experts that know these markets that understand what you're doing. I mean, I'm a big fan of finding a real estate expert that knows how to do the stuff that you're doing, find a mortgage broker that knows exactly what you're doing and walk them through your five, 10 year plan because they'll have tips and tricks on how to do this stuff Smartly, so that you can do it well and actually execute the plan without falling into you know, the, oh, I didn't know I was going to have to pay this tax. I didn't know that this was going to happen. So, you want to make sure you've crossed the T's, dot the I's, buy the place that is going to make sense for you five, 10 years from now. Are you going to drive out to that property? Or are you going to fly out to that property? Who's going to take care of it? So, all of these things have to be understood, but it is a really smart strategy. And that's what I mean by thinking outside of the box, weighing up the pros and cons and figuring out what's right for you. Think outside the box, figure out how do I invest in real estate and how 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 do I find a home? And the two might not be the same.
3: Those are all really good points. And as you said, like determining the priorities and what kind of lifestyle you want, and then making a plan and surrounding yourself and building a team around you that's going to help you execute it, whether it's just advice, whether it's on the financing wherever it may be. As we're wrapping up here, can you just tell us a little bit where people can uh, find your book?
0: It's on Amazon. You can find me at ramonaking.com And I also am the director of the content at Zolo. And I'm always happy to- people have questions. I try to the best of my ability to answer. I'm not always timely, but to the best of my ability to answer. So if they just email me, I'm happy to try and help them through things. Let
2: me ask you uh, one more question also by way of conclusion. So obviously number one resource. Check out your book. But other than that, is there anything else that you would recommend in terms of somebody who wants to maybe get the toolbox that would help them make smart home buyer decisions, not necessarily investment real estate decisions?
0: I sound like I'm boasting, but my book is sort of that lovely gap. And it has been said that by other people in the industry, other journalists, sort of like this is the homeowner's manual. So it is a good $20, you know, well spent in my mind. I'm actually a big believer in sort of some of the staid standard stuff out there. So CMHC, as much mm-hmm. as people want to poo-poo them for the default fees, mm-hmm. actually has incredibly good resources. You want to know about insulation? CMHC has a book for that. You want to know about, you know, Windows, CMHC has a book for that. So I'm actually a big believer and a big fan in a lot of those publicly accessible free resources. I'm a huge fan in books. So if you like my books, start spinning off. What do I read? I read things like, you know, the mindful investor or things that I'm going to glean expert knowledge from other people that have also walked the walk. So I'm actually a big believer in a lot of books there. And it doesn't always have to be about personal finance or, or real estate, but I do like those. Talbot Stevens talks a lot about debt. I'm a big believer in Aussie Jurek, which is some old real estate books. But you start understanding where the, some of these old myths and rules of thumb come from by reading some of these people and understanding what, where does location, location, location come from? How do I apply it to this market? Because it has changed a bit, right? So I think understanding it's an ongoing process, learning's ongoing, and understanding that books are meant to not just be read, but mark it up, make notes in the columns, flag that page, pass it on to your friend like these are textbooks not you know novels right
3: yeah very good way to conclude you're absolutely right like when you see how much information you can get for 20 bucks in a book it's the best investment you can make just invest in yourself in your education in your knowledge and it will take you far
0: my husband says you spend way more than 20 dollars on books and i'm like yes but i love books so <laughs> yeah but look at the return it worked out oh, huge huge return right yeah yeah.
2: And like way cheaper than however many hours of coaching or like whatever else. Right. I always say when people start, okay, what's the free resources per first podcast, YouTube, then the next step is okay. Then the book or something low cost. And then once you've done that work, then if you want to go get coaching, go do it. Mm-hmm. But like, why yes. not get access to the free and low cost resources first, mark it up and then find some way to answer the remaining five questions that you have. So oh, that's, uh, yeah,
0: thank so you. You said it way better than I did. I mean, can I just say what she said? Can I just say that? What she <laughs> Said. that's the way to said. do it yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> sure well look romana
2: thank you so much for uh, taking the time to share this wisdom with our audience and for sharing this uh half hour
0: with us this morning thank you
3: terry it was a pleasure thank you very much and for everyone listening as usual if you want to keep supporting us please subscribe share it with a friend uh, leave us some comments send us some feedback it's always a welcome and we try to respond to absolutely everything we get on this beautiful note Thank you again, Romana. It's been a real pleasure. And to anyone listening, get involved, jump in the market, do your research, and finally, go make some offers.
2: And check out her book.
1: (laughs) Yes, indeed. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at TerryShower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.